Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Today's guest is Arlene Washburn. She's a master executive certified matchmaker and science-based dating and relationship coach. She is the creator of the Get Real, Get Love coaching system. Good morning, Arlene. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Excellent, excellent. Just wonderful. (laughs) So we have so much to talk about. Tell me, what type of coaching do you do? Well, I am a master certified matchmaker, and I am a dating and relationship coach. And it's all science-based because there actually is science to relationships. And more and more information is coming out every day. So it's not just one of those things where you leave to chance. So I, I focus a lot on helping singles, particularly women, to learn the skills that they need and the science behind relationships so they can be more successful. Mm. So do you go by a formula that you use normally? Um, I have a coaching course that's a 12-week course that takes people through a process that's very transformational. And a lot of what I teach for relationships really like translates to other areas of people's lives because when you really think about it, relationships are the relationships we have with our coworkers, our employees, our children, our family. Mm. So um, it, it all applies. Absolutely. So we're approaching Valentine's Day. It's a big day where it affects so many people in a positive and a negative way. Um, when I say negative, is is people who are looking for love and they don't find it and, and they're questioning themselves, is there something wrong with me? How do we How do we help? someone who is in that situation? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of my coaching is, is really geared towards the, the people that are successful in business. They have assets. They have a lot of the things that they want out of life, but they don't have those committed relationships and they don't feel or they don't feel happy in the relationship that they have. And so a lot of it starts with inner work. But when it when it comes to Valentine's Day, I look at that as, first of all, it's a hallmark holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so people need to take the pressure off themselves. And quite honestly, if they want to go out, there are plenty of opportunities. You know, Valentine's is also called Singles Day, right? Where mm. singles can go to events. Uh, and, and, you know, in the era of, of pandemic, there's a lot of stuff going on online. There's speed dating. There's just a bunch of fun things. If you're out or you're in one of these forums for singles, you know, everybody else there is single. And I think it's a day to take it as an opportunity to meet other singles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people just need to take the pressure off themselves and, and not let these Hallmark holidays dictate their moods and, and, you know, their happiness. Right, right. Like you said, there's virtual 
things going on. We are in a crazy world. How do we deal with that as far as dating? Because we're all, there's a lot of people who are very afraid of even leaving the house. So how does someone find love in a crazy world? Well, I mean, I'm a big proponent of online dating. I know that it could be challenging for some people. And there, of course, you know, safety measures that you should take. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday I taught a class on how to stay safe while while doing online dating. Just like any other venue, wherever you go, there's always good people, there's bad people. There are people who are out to get you, whether it's financially to try to scam you or to do physical harm. I mean, I've heard stories about that. As a matter of fact, I have a, a book, an ebook that's available for free for anyone who's uh, listening. Oh, that's awesome. If they want to download it. Yeah, because I, I'm a big proponent of this, but, you know, and I met my husband online and I think it's a great uh, venue because it has a plethora of singles that are self-identifying as single and they they give you some preliminary information about themselves and of course there's always going to be lies just like everything else so you just have to know how to sift through the the opportunities that are there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what kind of um, advice would you give someone when they're going on their first date because that can you know that can either go really well or it can be a big flop and you said there's a lot of lies out there Yeah. So what's interesting right now in the era of COVID and people being so stressed out about what leaving the house, et cetera, there's a lot of online dating that's actually happening online, truly happening online and video dates and things like that. And I think it's a great way to have that preliminary interaction. It doesn't have to be very long, but just showing up, you know, you get to see the person. uh, It eliminates a lot of this issue with people putting pictures that are 10 years old and then you show up to meet them and they're not who they are, who they said they are, et cetera. Right. So now you get an opportunity to meet someone over video. And I know people get nervous about that, but the reality is it's really not that complicated. You know, you, you just need light lighting in front of you. You need a computer with a camera and a background that looks presentable. And then you meet someone, you have conversation and you show up with an open heart and an open mind, which is the main thing. Most people date, looking for red flags, I always say, look for the green flags because most people are terrible at first dates. Everybody's Mm. nervous and you have to cut people a break. And if somebody doesn't utterly repulse you, I think you should always go to that second date and really give an opportunity to sort of level out the nervous energy and all of that and get to know someone because you can't show up to a first date and divulge everything about yourself. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a little bit of time. Right. Like, like, uh, you don't want to talk about your exes, <laughs> right? Oh, for sure. Do not talk about the exes. And if you and if that comes up, because of course I have no idea why, but people always ask questions about somebody else's past relationships, which mm-hmm. it's really, you know, when you think about a first date, think about it as showing up to a, a party, you know, a cocktail party. There's certain personal information that you're not entitled to immediately. You have to first develop a rapport. You have to first develop a, you know, a common ground before you start getting into people's personal business. Even though you're both identified as looking, seeking a relationship and and being single, it's still, it's just common courtesy as a human being. Act like you're at a cocktail party and have conversation where you're, you know, genuinely interested about the person, but don't interview them and don't go into too deep into the personal stuff because you're not entitled to it until 
you're entitled to it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Right, 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 right. I, I mean, once you get to know the person a little bit, because a lot of people, even on the first date, bring up finances, which is a terrible, to, to me, that's a terrible way of looking at another person. Can you help me out financially or, or whatever it is they're looking at? But some people bring finances. Do you have like a list that, you, uh, because you're a matchmaker and you, you help people actually match and, and you do it through science and, and you, you're matching people who are going to be a great mix with one another. Do you have a, a guide that you, you coach them on and on what to say, what not to say? what to leave out and what to wait on? Yeah, I mean, look, the first step is to be very clear about what your core values are. And once you know what they are, then it's easier for you to have conversation that works in your core values so that you hear a response on the other end to assess whether or not they're aligned to yours. Because this is the number one criteria for um, having a successful marriage or a successful relationship is to have core values that are aligned. And so, you know, definitely you don't show up to a first date and, and talk about people's finances. And, and look, the beauty of the online platforms like Match.com, for example, it gives you preliminary information. And you have to take people at their word initially because even if you have a conversation and they tell you they make $100,000, they could be lying, right? Mm. So, you know, by using these platforms, and this is why I, I so many people complain about, oh, I hate online dating. It's like, you know, put the time and effort um, doing it properly because most people don't even start with that, you know, making sure that they're using them correctly. Secondly, take the information that's already available to you in that in that profile and run with that for a moment until you've developed the rapport to then start to talk about your core values, which is really where that's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, if your core values are not aligned, chances are you're not going to be successful as a couple. And those core values are individual to the to the person, right? So, uh, for example, uh, finances is you know financial outlook and approach to finances is a core value to many people. And if those things are not aligned, you're very likely to not be successful as a couple. Uh, and you do hear a lot about couples having issues with finances and getting divorced. And, and by the way, that's only 30%, mm. which I know it's a big number, but it's not as big as people think also. <laughs> okay, right, right, That's right. just one aspect. But it could be religion. If you're a religious person and that's a core value for you and you need someone in your life who's equally yoked in that religion, then you need to understand that as you choose a partner. But for some people, they might be, let's say, Christian. They might go to church on Sunday, but they don't need their partner to do it with them. And so it's not it's no longer so much a core value that has to be aligned because you're okay to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. the, the first thing is just figuring out all of that, you know, how you feel about children, for example. If you want to have children and that's a deal breaker for you and that's a core value about having family and all of that, you cannot give anybody an opportunity who doesn't want to have kids because you're just going to waste your time. And I see this happen time and time again where people get to 40-ish especially women, and they're like, oh, you know, I really wanted to have kids and get married. And then you look back at their relationships, and they wasted so much time with relationships with someone who wasn't from day one said they didn't want to have kids, but they thought they can change them or whatever. So anyway, it's a very long-winded answer, but, but that's where you start. <laughs> no, that's fine. 
That's that's exactly what I was looking for, but thank you. That's you know, it's such a complicated and yet not complicated issue because it's it's the person that can either bring it and make it complicated or they can be simple about it and, and truly find love. So in that response, let's talk about intimacy for a minute. How soon should someone become intimate with someone? Let's say we did the online dating and we maybe met in person. Maybe we had coffee first. When do we say, okay, it's all right to get a little intimate? Is it a fact of reading the other person? Is it a fact of, you know, some people are just looking for one night stands or, or, you know, just a quick, um, I guess, vacation. I don't know how you call it, but (laughs) what what advice do you give on, on uh, to your clients on intimacy? Okay, so that's a great question, and here's what I'll say. It depends. So if you're looking for a one-night stand as a man and as a woman, because, guys, women want to get laid too, and they're perfectly content to have a one-night stand with someone, and that's perfectly okay, and that doesn't make her a slut or anything like that. I think that between two consenting adults, it's all good. However, if you're looking for a serious long-term relationship, what the science shows is that you need to be, what I like to tell the women is like, you want the guy marinated in you in that he's really has strong feelings for you, that you feel that there's also a level of commitment where you're exclusive. And that, the time frame for that could be very short or it could be a little bit longer. So there's no set timing for it. And I know people always want that kind of an answer, right? But it's, mm. that's not how it works. Everybody's heart works differently. Because here's the science. Once a man has sex with a woman, his testosterone level goes down. And so if he's not really into her, but he just got laid and that's all, you know, he really, like that was the goal, then he's going to move on. Okay? So he's no longer, his, his testosterone is not as high for you. And there's also a study that shows that um, after a man has sex with a woman, he could find her less attractive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the risk. If a guy is not fully into you, and what I call marinated, you know, in your like, in, sort of in love with you and infatuated with you, before you have sex, chances are he's going to get laid, he's going to move on. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just the biology. This is not that doesn't make him a bad guy. It's just the biology and the science of it. So if you understand that and you're looking for a long term relationship, then wait until there's that level of commitment where you both are equally in love. And the thing is, is women, most women, I should say, because everything here is, you know, I'm generalizing, obviously, everyone's yes. an individual. But there are, uh, for the most part, I think women handle that physical interaction as a bigger commitment versus the men, right? So men don't necessarily look at it that way. And so that's why I say refrain from any, you know, that, and and I should say sex, because intimacy doesn't always require sex. Intimacy intimacy is great. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. intimacy could be a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But really we're talking, you know, and I I, I hope I didn't misunderstand you, but I I looked at that as a physical thing. No, no, you're absolutely good. You're good. No, because for me, as a guy, right, you got to think about everything that you said. I agree with you 100 percent, because not only for a guy, but for a girl, if they feel like the person is too easy, are they 
are they commitment material? Do I want to bring this person? Let's say they're younger, right? And they want to bring this person home. Maybe they've already been divorced and their family's going to judge who they're going to be with. Uh, and not that you should look at anybody else's judgment on your choice of who you go with. But the fact is, are you accepting them for who they are? Or is it like, hmm, they were too easy. I wonder if that's how they are normally and will they cheat on me? So, yeah. So having sex too early could have that. Right. And that there's a lot of risk. That proponent of, of someone thinking of it. Yeah, there's a lot of risk. Absolutely. Yeah. To, to your point, I, I, I want to touch on that as well. You're absolutely right. You know, you don't know the other person's mentality about that, you know, that physical interaction. So if you are very excited about someone and you really like them, and you think that there's a chance that this, there's a future here, why not take a little bit of time to assess and really get to know each other before you jump into that? Because to me, I look at sex as the next level of communication. So let's get this level here with conversation and interaction without that physical aspect, right? As are we on the same page? Build on that so that the sex is actually, you know, like the, the cherry on top. And I also think that it makes sex a lot more exciting, you know, because it builds and also you get to know each other a little bit more. Like this, it, it, you're more comfortable instead of having this awkward situation when you, you just met someone and all of a sudden. So there's a lot of reasons for waiting if you're looking for that level of commitment. Now, if you just want to have sex and you just want to, Find someone that, you know, as long as you're being careful, hey, have at it. You know, mm. that's that's fine, too. I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, everybody does make their own bed in a way. And then what you do in your bed, it's, it's your problem. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> so when it, when it comes to commitment, so let's say we've, we've passed the stage of that initial awkward dating scene, and now maybe it's six months eight months or whatever, where do we go from there? How do we get into the next stage of dating? Because a lot of people, just like a business, a business, sometimes they open up and within a year they're closed. And that can also happen in a relationship. What must be done in order to continue on that level of high expectations? Or how should I say, bringing that commitment a step further. Yeah. So the key to, you know, really progressing in a relationship is going in, knowing what the goals are. And I know people are afraid to have these types of conversations and it's important, right? So, and, and that's why I keep referring back to the online dating stuff. Cause if you meet somebody organically in either a church or a bar or somewhere out, you know, you're, you're still going to have to figure these things out. It might take a little bit longer. Whereas if you're on a platform that shows somebody's end goal is marriage, right? Then you know, you, you need to be aligned as far as that goes, because then there's a progression. So if we both go into a situation knowing, okay, my end goal is I want marriage and children. And you're both on the same page about that. Then you, you, you start, you, you see what the goal is and everything you do is working towards that. So it's getting to know each other, it's aligning your core values, it's making sure that you, that you want similar things. And when I say things, I mean, even things like, 
your lifestyle, right? Like if you're the kind of person who who wants to be out, you know, all the time and 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 I know some people outgrow that too, but and you're at a at a pace where you're like ready for marriage and kids and you're not the, going out all the time, that could be a challenge in a relationship. So you you want to kind of have a similar like energetic uh lifestyle um that where you you're going to be compatible. And then the key thing is to communicate and talk about your wants and needs and your goals. And this is something that has to carry on forever. It's not just, oh, we're just talking about this now that we're trying to get to a higher level in our relationship. This is consistent. Like I've been married for a long time and my husband and I go for walks with the dogs and we, you know, we'll have conversations about, uh, not about maintenance, but about, what are your what are your dreams? What do you want to do this year? Do you have any mm. goals this year? Like how can I help you achieve these things? How can you help me? We talk about like really fully getting to know each other and people change. And if you don't consistently do this throughout a relationship, then that's when that thing happens that people say, Oh, well, we just kind of went in different directions. Of course you did, because you mm. weren't checking in. So I'm a big proponent of like check in with your your spouse, your the relationship that you're in. Every day, like take ten minutes and have a conversation about anything other than maintenance. Not like who's gonna who's gonna take the dog <laughs> to the vet or who's gonna right. do no, not that. I'm talking about like what are your dreams, what are your goals and keep in you know, it's the tuning, it's constantly mm. attuning that. And then just being open and comfortable having a conversation. So one of the things that I that's very challenging and this is where I do a lot of coaching with women in particular is that they're always afraid to bring up certain subjects, they're afraid to have these conversations and by the time they do they have to build up this energy that's almost it almost comes out as anger <laughs> or complaint, mm, right? Right, right, right. Instead right. of being very matter of fact and so they won't because Unfortunately, we've in many ways have been trained to just be submissive, to just be be quiet, don't make any waves, don't make a big deal, just people pleasers. And it's not necessary to be that way. I find that men find it more comfortable to hear from you, like, this is what I need. Or, is this something that you can do for me? And then you're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, because you're a problem solver. And you're like, all right, I can do that. But if you're not clear and this person's got all this fog in their head about things they're thinking about that they're not telling you about. And you're like, what is up with this person? Like something's off. You don't know what, what mm. it is, right? But there's something. And so it all boils down to having conversations about your wants and needs and in a way that is very, very matter of fact and loving. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to work up an energy and get all angry or this or that. Just, just mm -hmm. real easy, mm -hmm. you know? So you're basically talking about the longevity of a relationship, the communication. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. Communication is key and really um, knowing how to communicate in a way that is not accusatory or demanding or it just, being very matter of fact about telling people your wants and needs. When I when I talk to men about why they decided to pick this partner, for the most part, you know, sometimes people do it for pressure because they're ready, they want to get married, and they just pick someone that they think mm. is going to be a good mom. But when they really are in love with someone and they want to get married, almost always I hear she's easy to be with, and what that means. 
as I ask more questions is that she's able to communicate her needs and then I can solve these problems and I fit into her life and she needs me and I need her because this business of, you know, I work with type A women who are business owners and very successful in their career and they have this little mantra of like, I don't need a man. And it's like, come on, you don't even have to say that because look, if you want to have sex and you're heterosexual, you need a man, right? Unless you want to have sex Mm. by yourself. If you want to have a partner that you travel with and you have a good time with and you know, you're a heterosexual woman, you need a man. Like you do. We have this interdependency and that's okay. You know, so those words just keep an energy around you that says, I don't need a man and therefore you don't get a man. And then now you're complaining that you don't have a man. (laughs) So, um, you know, words to me are very powerful and they all have energy. And I, and my say, my feeling is don't say things like that because it's just, it's not necessary. So when it, when it comes to all the discussions that that you're going to have with your partner and for me, uh, I'm heterosexual, but if someone is, is bi or gay, I, I'm fine with that as long as they're finding the love that they they need. So in accepting your partner's flaws as you see them, because, you know, your partner may not see what they do as a flaw, but you may. How do you deal with that? And And when do you say, you know what? Everything else is so amazing that maybe this little quirk that they have really annoys me, but I got to learn how to overcome it or or just not even pay attention to that because it's it's so small compared to all the high qualities that this person has. Yeah, so there are things in a relationship that will never be resolved. And if you go into it knowing that, then you can say to yourself, okay, is this something that I can tolerate? And it doesn't, I when, when I work with singles, the first thing we establish is what are your must-haves and what are your deal breakers? So if this this thing that you that you find as a flaw in in your partner is not a deal breaker, then you learn to live with it, and that's just a fact. I mean, nobody's perfect. People, no, there's nobody perfect. Exactly. Yeah, nobody, nobody's perfect. Right. So nobody's perfect. So you have to know that going in, and I think in many ways people think that they're going to be happy in this perfect idealized relationship that doesn't exist. There's always challenges that you have to work towards improving and fine tuning and constantly attuning a relationship. And that's part of the fun. That's part of the having a relationship. Mm. People help you grow in a relationship because there are things about me that perhaps I want to change and maybe don't have the wherewithal. And I have a partner who can help me in that. So that's okay. And you always have to consider yourself a work in progress until the day you die. And a lot of times, if you have the right partner, that's the person that will help you grow, Mm -hmm. just like you will help them. But you also have to have clear boundaries. And if you don't have clear boundaries, what happens is you attract the wrong partner. Usually like, you know, someone who's a narcissist, for example, is always seeking a partner who, who has no boundaries. Because narcissistic people don't have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so if you're one of those people who's a people pleaser, who doesn't have boundaries, the first thing you need to do is to start working on yourself and figuring those things out and learning how to establish boundaries for yourself so that you don't attract the wrong partner. Because nine times out of 10, that's typically what's going to happen. Right, right. So in in 
talking about someone like that or setting boundaries, how do we deal with jealousy? So that's a, that's an interesting topic. Jealousy usually comes from emotional baggage, mm-hmm. right? So you have emotion, what I call emotional baggage because baggage is not, you know, oh, he's got a kid, oh, he's got a baby mama. Blah, blah, blah. No, that's not, you know, kids, they're a beautiful part of our lives. The fact that you have an ex is not, doesn't make you anything wrong with you. Um, but what is challenging is when you have emotional baggage, which means that you are bringing to the new relationship things that happened in the past. And you're going to consistently, if you're the jealous type, you're going to consistently attract people who may not be faithful. Or if they are faithful, you're going to push them, you, you almost push them into behaving a certain way because you're bringing that emotional baggage that you acquired from a previous relationship or from your parents. Because a lot of the beliefs that we have and, and the behavior comes from our original belief system that we formed when we're zero to eight, mm-hmm. very, very young, and never work through those beliefs. And I'm a big believer of spring clean your belief system. Every year you need to sit down and say, okay, what do I believe? And then is this belief serving my goals, right? And if you believe that no one can be trusted um, and that's why you're jealous, so you have to figure out, or is it that they don't? You, they can't be trusted? Do you not feel good enough? And therefore, you don't think anybody would ever be faithful to you? I mean, you have to work through those things so that you can show up as a better version of yourself in the next uh, situation. Because mm-hmm. that's a very challenging thing for the person on the receiving end, especially if they are faithful, that you're being accused constantly of doing this or doing that. Right. And it makes you feel bad about the relationship and it puts negativity into it. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and talk about, and it happens in in, in plenty of relationships, not all, cheating. How do we handle that? It it really depends on the couple, right? People overcome cheating. And I know that's not the popular belief, you know, people say, oh, that's it. If somebody cheats on me, I'm done, this and that. But the reality is, is that people can make mistakes. They should delve into what what brought them to that and figure out if, if this is, if, if it's a chronic thing, you know, by all means, I'm not, I'm a believer of like, if somebody cannot be faithful and you don't have an open relationship, then you need to move on because you're not, you're going to suffer. You're mm-hmm. going to be very unhappy being on the receiving end of that. Right. But there are times where those types of things could happen and it's an isolated situation and a couple that has a family or even if they don't, right? If they want to work through it, there are ways to work through it. But I will tell you, it takes time and whoever's doing the cheating is going to have to ask for forgiveness. They have to establish a different behavior pattern to make sure this other person it feels comfortable, starts to like rebuild that trust. And it does take time. So you know, my, my feeling is like, don't, don't even go there. Like if you want to have an open relationship, then talk to your partner about having an open relationship. Mm-hmm. If you want to be pal- polyamorous and all these, you know, have a trouble or all these different things that are available out there, <laughs> right. then find someone who's open to that. Right. Mm-hmm. But don't, you know, get involved with someone who is monogamous and, and want a monogamous relationship and then turn around and, and, you know, betray them because 
it's very challenging to overcome. It can be overcome, but it is challenging. Absolutely. So in, in that, a lot of times cheating does lead to divorce and, and finances lead to divorce. Cheating leads to divorce. Like you mentioned earlier, drifting apart because there was no communication to begin with leads to divorce. And, and, and divorce is very traumatic for a lot of people. Some people who were maybe they felt like their spouse betrayed them because maybe they did cheat on them or for whatever reason. So it is such a traumatic experience. And divorce is so hard and it should be harder to get married than getting divorced. Divorce should be easy <laughs> and say, you know what, I'm done. Let's move on. We don't have to pay $200,000 to a lawyer. And I'm sure all the lawyers hearing this don't like me right now. <laughs> but I think that developing a relationship before you say, you know, I am going to marry you. I am going to spend the rest of my life with you should be a little harder, some more work involved than just saying, yep, let's do this and set a date. It should be more involved. My sister and brother-in-law are marriage counselors. They've been marriage counselors forever. They've been married 50 years and they're, they're just amazing. I mean, they look like the newlyweds and I'm like, wow, that, that's incredible. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're sitting on the couch and they're holding hands. Their love for, for each other is so incredible. And, you know, they, they do coach people on and they have retreats and all these, these kind of things where they, they actually take uh, people who are looking to get married and coaching them on, you know, the ups and downs of marriage. And I, I think that it's important for us to realize that if we do make that commitment, it's not a simple, easy, quick fix. Let's, let's get married because we're supposed to. Let's get married because we thought about it and what are our commitments to each other and what do we want out of this? Because it is, it is a commitment. I could not agree more. I think it, it's definitely something that people should do based on feeling ready and feeling committed. So the, the paperwork should be secondary to the commitment, not that the paperwork creates the commitment. And so I could not agree more. And the good news is that, and we'll see now with uh, at the end of COVID, but divorce rates have gone down. I, I do a lot of work in the divorce space and working with people who have gone through a divorce. Uh, people are waiting longer to get married. So this younger generation has is at least waiting for their brain to fully develop. Mm. Uh, unlike my generation, you know, I'm 54. And back in the day, people would get married way too young where you didn't even know what the hell you wanted. I mean, I got married uh, for the first time uh, at 19 and I didn't even know who I was, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, and I know, look, there's always the exception. So I'm speaking in general terms. I know there are high school sweethearts and things that get married, but I will tell you that you, you're almost better off waiting for to be around 28, which is when your brain is fully developed mm -hmm. and you have a sense of self and you've had an opportunity to complete your studies and do a bunch of things to then uh, make that move. And what's happening now is that the younger generation is actually getting married in their 30s. And we suspect 
uh, it's yet to be seen, but we suspect that they're going to probably have, you know, longer, more successful marriages because of it. So mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. Right, right. Time will tell. Yeah. So let's let's talk about, we, we discuss divorce and sometimes it's just, sometimes it's for the better. It's for the better of each individual. How do we start over? What What is the process? And, and sometimes it's a short process and people just jump from one relationship to another and they're getting married again after getting divorced. You know, three months later, they're getting married again. What is the, the and it's it's a tough situation, but how do we start over? Well, we start by first regaining our sense of self. When we're in a marriage in a relation or a relationship a long term, and sometimes even not that long, um, you you sort of merge towards each other, right? And you give in in many ways, you know, maybe you you're getting divorced because you gave up a lot of yourself and it was no longer tenable, right? So you need to first take the time to find out, okay, what are my goals? What are my dreams? What do I really want? What did I learn from this relationship? you know, that I don't want to happen again? What did I love out of this so that my next partner should have? And also, have you reached a place of neutrality with that individual? Because where the, the you know, the baggage, the emotional baggage comes from, you still have feelings or you have whatever feelings. It could be love. It could be hate. Those things are, you know, emotional baggage. Now, if you can get to a neutral place, where you can reassign blame and say, instead of it was his fault, it was my fault, you say, we did not work out. We were not right for each other. Reassign blame to this third entity because people, like, you might be a terrible husband for me and a great husband for somebody else. There's a, there's an inter you know interdependency that brings out certain aspects of you when you're in a relationship. So... If you can get to that place and not how much time that takes, it, it all depends on the individual. There's no set time. I know mm-hmm. sometimes people say, oh, you need a month for every year that you were married. That's BS. Okay. Mm-hmm. You just need to know internally, have you reached a place of feeling that it wasn't, you know, yes, of course, everybody accepts responsibility in the, in the failure of the relationship, but is it now has that now transitioned into we just didn't work. This was not right for us. And therefore we needed to end it. If you can get there and you no longer hate your ex or, or at least you can respect them for who they are, um, love them for who they are, especially if they're a, a parent of one, of one of your kids, which is something I see a lot with couples that get divorced. And then the, the parents are bad mouthing each other to the children one of the things I learned in my with my first marriage, I had a daughter and I went to therapy because I wanted to make sure I was not, you know, damaging this child. And the first thing they teach you is do not badmouth your ex because your child is half you and half that other person. Mm-hmm. And so when you're putting down this other person, you're putting, you know, you're putting your child down. And that was such a, an important lesson for me to learn because. I, I didn't want to damage her as it was, you know, the divorce itself can create enough uh, havoc in the lives of these children. But knowing that right on the onset, that really was a significant lesson for me. Absolutely. I mean, hate will, no matter what type of hate you have, it just makes you bitter. So I, I don't know how to hate anyone, in, including anyone I've had in the past, people who've, you know, try to hurt me 
in any in any manner. I don't have any animosity for them. I don't hate them. I only wish them well and hope that you know they have a great life. Because when we're dealing with kids and in divorce, for me it it only hurts the chil- the children. And some parents they're so angry, no matter what the other person did. You have to protect your child. Period. Absolutely, and you need to have empathy, right? Because you know what they say, hurt people hurt people. Mm. And a lot of times when you're in a situation with someone, when you're in that relationship and you and it ends and they're being very hurtful, it, it helps for you to sort of observe it from the outside and look at things from their point of view and have empathy. Not so much because because that in that feeling of, like you said, hate and anger, it does it wreaks havoc on your body. Your cortisol level goes up. Your belly gets bigger. There's so many hormonal things that are happening to you for having those emotions because those emotions will trigger things hormonally. Why do you need that? Mm-hmm. Let you know you have to release it. If they're no longer in your life, that was you know great. Then they're you know especially even if you wanted to be in this relationship, but they don't want to be with you, you should feel happy that if someone doesn't want to be with you that they leave and, you know, you now can move on rather than being with someone who doesn't want to be with you. It's just, and I know this is hard to do, so I don't want to make it like, oh, it's no big deal. It takes time. There's a process. I understand, you know, unrequited love is very challenging. I understand that being betrayed is very challenging and it takes, that's what the coaching is all about, right? But you get to a better place and when you close close these uh, doors, other avenues open for you. And if you're willing and able to move on, it's a much better place for you, especially if you're uh, a parent. You know, one of the things I talk about with parents is you're better off if you have a very dysfunctional relationship that you've tried and it's not going to improve and it's not meant to be, to leave that relationship so that your children don't experience that and then leave your home thinking, this is what relationships are all about because they're going to go ahead and repeat it because they learn from modeling, not from what you, from what you tell them, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why so many people stay in, in abusive relationships because they don't feel they're worthy enough to get out and, and take care of themselves. They feel like they need that other person. Absolutely. I mean, the best thing that you can do as a parent is to be in a healthy relationship that your children will look at and say, okay, this is the possibility. They're not going to see a good relationship on TV and think, oh, that's kind of, no, it's what they see at home that's going to impact their lives. And so it's very, very detrimental. And I see this all the time with people that say, well, we're just going to hang in there until the kid goes to college and then Mm -hmm. we're going to, and no, you're really hurting your children by doing that because they can see a loveless marriage. They can see a dysfunctional relationship. They can hear the the fights and everything else. That does not help them. You're better off ending that relationship and finding someone who's going to make you happy that your children can look at and see and model than staying there. But people do this all the time. And again, this is one of those, it's just been from generation to generation of this is what you do. And it's the wrong thing to do. Right. Without a doubt. So tell me, what is the one word that you would use for successful relationship if you had to pick one word? Oof, 
that's mm-hmm. uh that's a tough one well you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say love <laughs> because <laughs> the word love encompasses so much and it's it's what we need in our society it's it's what we need in our relationships in our politics in all of it love of country love of people love of neighbor love of uh family love that that would be the word mm. i love that word get it <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so sorry to be so corny <laughs> so arlene tell me uh, you've dealt with so many different types of people in, in different situations and, and as a coach i'm sure you've come across some really funny ones anyone that you can share with us that won't um, won't be embarrassing to anyone a funny situation oh my goodness okay and and it could be at anything as a coach i mean i can't really think of anything like really funny what i what i encounter more than anything is just a lot of contradictions mm. in in people which to me is somewhat funny right mm-hmm. um you know that they contradict the things that they want are diametrically opposed and and it's like uh hello <laughs> but um i really really can't think of a situation maybe one time i had a, a client uh she's a physician a functional medicine doctor and i introduced her to a gentleman and I was coaching her. He was a matchmaking client, and they were perfect for each other. In fact, they're now married. But um, nice. initially, she she said to me, "Well, I don't know, Arlene." And now, mind you, they're uh, uh, they were of a certain age. So um, she says, "I don't think I could. I don't think this would be possible because he's got a little bit of a belly." Mm. And I was like. And I said to her, well, get to work. <laughs> You're a functional medicine doctor. <laughs> I was like, what do you expect? He's a single man. He lives alone. He's probably eating crap all the time, you know, and, and not by any means was this man grossly overweight or anything. But the good news is that he, she did give him a shot. They continued to date each other and nine months later got engaged and she got married for the first time at the age of 60. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. G- giving <laughs> that that shot that w- that was the key. That was the key. <laughs> you, you know, after my divorce, I uh, I was in my thirties, and I didn't date. So a friend of mine said to me, "Hey, there's a this event going on. It's a singles event. You want to come with me?" I said, "Okay, why not?" So I start driving to it. It is pouring cats and dogs it is raining you could barely see three feet in front of you and i call him i said i'm on my way you coming he goes absolutely not it's raining like crazy i'm like i'm halfway there are you kidding me you're not going he goes no i'm not i said all right i'm just gonna go because i have nothing better to do so i go i walk into this this amazing restaurant and and this is going to be a funny one for you because it it kind of took me back a little bit so i walk into this place and it's mobbed, and there's women everywhere. And I was like, okay, so I got to go find a host. And because there was a fee to, to, to attend, I said, no problem. I said, you know, let me find a host. Her name is Sandra. Okay. So I find her, and I said, hey, how you doing? After a couple of minutes, I already had talked to some women trying to find her because, I, have you seen Sandra? They're like, who are you, you know? So um, finally I find Sandra. And some of the women, I don't know, I guess they tagged along. 
And they're like, that's Sandra. You can talk to her. So I'm, I start saying, hey, how are you? I'm here for the event. Here's my money. She goes, oh, no. She goes, we're packed. She goes, we, I'm sorry, but, you know, I can't help you today. Can I tell you, the women almost beat her up. They're like, what are you doing? He's like one of the five men who are here and you're throwing him away? So I said, oh I, said I said, okay, I don't want to cause any trouble here. So at that point, she's like, you know, you're right. You, you go ahead and pay me. And so, you know, I paid her. I, I met some really, really nice people that night. And later on, I went to a few of these events. I never found anyone. So, and that was okay. It was just, a, a, you know, just to get out instead of staying home and watching TV. So eventually she said to me, you know, you're, you're at a lot of these events. And I said, yeah, it's a great dinner. And I get to meet really great people, movie producers, this, that, the other. And great people. I, I, everybody that comes to your events, they're amazing people. And I talked to the guys, you know. So for me, it was, it was not really like a dating scene for me. For me, it was just to get out and, and, you know, meet people. And she goes, would you like to host some of these? I said, okay. So she goes, you know, we, we do it at restaurants and it's usually a dinner, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 people and you're the host. I said, okay. So she goes, come to a few of these for free. I'm not going to charge you. And which I already knew what they were. She goes, but you sit next to me and you'll see how I handle things. I said, okay. So after a while, she gave me the reins and I did some on my own. And I'm, I'm at, and I, it was hosting for 40s, 50s, and 60s. And even I was in my 30s, I said, okay. And at one of the 60s, at the end of the night, this incredibly lovely woman, 75 years old, says to me, Raphael, what are you doing at the end of the night? And she was like <laughs> proposing. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm going home. <laughs> and um, I never dated anyone from that scene ever. But it was just a, a great way for me to meet people. So when she said to me, what are you doing later? It's like she was inviting me and she told oh, I don't live far from here. This, that. And I was like, oh, that's extremely generous of you. So lovely. But I, I'm going to go home tonight. And I said, I look forward to seeing you at the next event. And the fact that she was still active at 75 years old was incredible. And she's looking for love still. And I, I thought that was, that was a beautiful thing that, you know, she, she didn't give up, you know? So it was, it was, to me, that was kind of funny and cool. That is so funny. That's amazing. And, you know, it's, people should never give up. I have to tell you, because my mom, let's see, she has a gentleman friend for like the past, I want to say like 12 years. And She's 88 mm. and he's 50 something. You want to talk about a cougar? Wow. Like, and, but <laughs> now, mind you, I will tell you that if they are both walking outside in the street and anybody sees them, you can't even tell that there's this huge age difference mm. at all. Well, that's great. I mean, thank God. Thank God for her genetics because I still, people think that I'm in my 20s and 30s and I'm 54, but. My mom looks really, really young, and she's like the ultimate cougar. <laughs> I laugh about it all the time. But that's hysterical because she just came right up to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Let me ask you, I mean, you ob obviously are very well-versed in the love connection, and, and you coach other matchmakers. You coach other people in, in this field. 
But what got you started? How did you say, you know, this is a field I want to get into? I got divorced when I was 35. And because I had been in these long-term relationships, my ex was 17 years and the one before that was a year. The one before that was five years. Like I never got this opportunity to just be single. Mm. And at that point, you know, I had a great career. I used to be a pharmaceutical industry executive um, before I became a matchmaker. So I was a, a senior director level person. And I was single for a long time. And in fact, I specifically wanted to have these relationships that were not commitment driven because I was very career oriented. I already had a child. I had a nice big house and drove a fancy car. You know, I I wasn't looking for that level of commitment. And then at one point that changed for me. And I had already been in this like mode of non-commitment relationships and choosing men who were non-committal and everything else. So I, I was like, okay, I'm ready for to have a partner that I can spend the rest of my life with and plan with and, and, and all that. And it was, it was like when you're going, you know, like a, a train going down real fast and then all of a sudden it has to switch gears. And that was challenging. So a long time ago, I don't know if you ever saw um, the millionaire matchmaker who was on TV on Bravo. Oh, yeah, that was a good show. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Good show. <laughs> so I, I started watching that show and I was like, oh, my God, there's a career that I can have in matchmaking and all this. And I was like, ah. This is something I need to do. And it took me five years of thinking about it. And finally, I, um, my last job, I actually was laid off and, and I thought, you know what, this is my opportunity. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a matchmaking company. And I should say in between that, right. I actually went to, I, I ended a relationship that I was dating this physician and we broke up and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to a matchmaker. So I go to this matchmaker in, uh, in New York on Park Avenue and real fancy place. And I'm all dressed up and I walk in there and I go and I meet with her and I'm sitting there. She must have asked me about maybe five questions, not even. And then she hands me a binder and says, here, go through that. Don't look at the pictures. Just let me know if there's anyone there, anyone there that you would want to meet. And I was like, okay. So I picked out one or two people and she basically set me up with one of these, one of these men that I picked out. The rest were people that were not at all anything that I would consider uh, as a potential match. I mean, they were all nice men, but definitely not for me. And I, when I left there, I thought I could do this so much better. Like that was a joke, mm-hmm. that whole process. Mm-hmm. So when I got laid off, I said, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to try this. I was ready for a career move. I had been in pharma for 20 plus years and I started a business in, in Ridgewood, New Jersey. I, I had an office on the main road there and I did really, really well because I brought my business acumen into running this business but I also had been doing a lot of inner work and taking courses and things on relationships because I needed to make this shift of choosing non-commitment men to then moving towards now I'm ready for a commitment. Uh, and that's really what drove me to it. And fast forward, you know, a, a year or two, about a year after I had my business, I was I learned about a school for matchmaking. I went and got certified. This was the only state licensed school in the country 
for matchmaking based out of New York. Um, I later uh, took a sabbatical from my own business and became the CEO of that school mm. and traveled all over the world to train other matchmakers. I you know, went to China, Japan multiple times, Europe, the Caribbean. I mean, matchmaking is a huge industry that is it's weird. It's like it's a, it's a low-key but yet big industry that's been around forever. So I, I became a trainer, and then Patty and I did a few things together. I actually had her come and train at some of the courses that we were offering and then also did uh, an event with her in New York. So, you know, I, I mean, when I make a decision that I'm going to do something, I'm all in. And, and what I realized as a matchmaker, right, because you're putting people together, but the most important thing is their mindset. And that's where the coaching comes in. Mm-hmm. So r- very quickly, um, when I started my business, I realized, you know what, this person's mind is not like, they're not relationship ready because even if I bring the ideal partner to them, they're not going to see it because they're, they have so many blocks that need to be cleared up first. And so um, a lot of my businesses always had coaching incorporated with the matchmaking. So it's not just, here you go, here's a, a someone for you, or here's a fish. No, I teach you how to fish. I teach you how to maintain, how to cook the fish, right. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, and then you can have a long-term successful relationship, which is what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Patty. Who, who's Patty? Patty Stanger, the millionaire matchmaker, the one that I said that had that show on TV. So you actually are now friends with her. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we've, we've done a few things. I went out to Newport Beach, which is where her business is based out of, and had a course out there that people came out to New York and got trained by her on how to be a millionaire matchmaker. You know, we, we did an event in New York for women at a very fancy club for for women well not just for women but you know this particular thing was Mm -hmm. yeah no i i got i went all in i started my business it was very successful still continues to be successful i took a sabbatical for a couple of years to become the ceo of the school which led me to amazing opportunities and you know now i'm back full force in my business and i love it this is my life's mission this is what i'm going to retire of uh you know helping people make better partner choices and learning the skills that they need to be, to do well in a relationship because there are skills. This is not something that you leave to chance. This is not something that, oh, you know, when you least expect it, it's going to happen. You know, that's how you waste a lot of years in your life. And it's not something that you just learn out of osmosis, Mm. just like anything else in life. You have to take some time to figure these things out and learn so that you can be successful. Everything mm-hmm. else in life is that way. It is. It is. So in, in, in regards to your coaching, what would you say is your most satisfying part of your coaching? Well, I've gone to multiple weddings, uh, including the, the woman that I mentioned who got married for the first time at the age of 60. Mm-hmm. I went to her wedding. I had been coaching a therapist who was on TV and I went to her wedding. She was, she was a Princeton graduate, uh, so Princeton University. So she had her wedding at the chapel there. Mm. And just people reaching out. Just the other day, I got a, uh, an email from, from somebody that I coached telling me, you know, thank God you were in my life because I wouldn't be so happy right now. And I, you always have a, a special place in my heart. And that is my fulfillment. You know, I have a wonderful life, thank God. I have a wonderful husband and family. But 
my passion. I mean, that's just not enough. Like I, I love having that, but I also need to see other people have that. I mm-hmm. want to be a part of people having that. This is what I'm passionate about. Nice. Nice. And, and in regards to all that you've done with coaching, with helping other people and your fulfillment as a coach, what's your biggest takeaway that you've gotten from another coach? From another coach. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be matchmaking. It could be any type of coach. That's an interesting question. Or it could be a book you read, you know, something that really hit home for you. Um, so so it's interesting that you mentioned that because as a coach, I also believe in investing in other coaches and I do I've spent a lot of money, maybe close to a hundred thousand dollars on coaching because I I really believe in it and it's just like my university. Mm-hmm. There's so many oh my gosh, there's so much that I've learned. One of my favorite things, and this is not really from a coach, but more from a book, and perhaps your audience has heard of the five love languages. When I learned about that, and this is many many years ago, it's from uh, Dr. Chapman. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and it's really about learning about yourself and what makes you feel loved. And the five love languages consist of these these five things, words of affirmation. It, it basically, how do you feel loved mm-hmm. when somebody tells you that they love you, when they tell you you look beautiful, et cetera? So that would be the words of affirmation. Acts of service when somebody does something for you, typically a person who says, don't tell me you love me, show me you love me, is someone who feels loved with acts of service. Mm. Gift giving, which is not really just about, oh, give me a ring or this or that. It's just someone even going to the store and coming back with your favorite gum. Um, as an, It's a symbol of their love for you. And then there's physical touch, which is not always about sex, but it's more about, like you were saying, with your where they sit next to each other on the couch and they hold hands and things like that. So physical touch. And then the last one is quality time. And then quality time is not just about being in the same room, but really being in the same, you know, being in the same room when you're on your phone and they're on their phone. No, it's really quality conversation and all of that. So knowing your love language is extremely important for you to be able to, you know, share that with someone so that they know, hey, I feel loved when you tell me you love me, when you tell me that I look good if I get dressed up and things like that. And that makes life so much easier, right? Because if it I does. know what you need to feel loved, I'm going to give that to you so you feel loved mm-hmm. and vice mm-hmm. versa, right? So that, to me, that was a huge, I used that in, in my coaching. I even used it, you know, when hiring people. I want to know their love language because a person who is into words of affirmation, it doesn't matter if you give them a raise. If you're not telling them they're go- doing a good job, they're not going to be happy. So knowing that about another person is huge. It's a game changer. It is. It is. Because you know what? That that opens up also the communication, which is to me one of the biggest things that a lot of people are, are lacking. They're not letting people know how they feel or people are not asking, how are you today? How are you doing? And, and literally... A lot of people say, hey, how's it going? And then they really don't want to hear your answer. <laughs> so a lot of times when when you ask someone how they're doing, it should be genuine. It should be like, hey, how are you doing? How's it going? You know, how's your day going? So it should be genuine. Absolutely. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that one of the 
biggest takeaways in terms of communicating with, between couples and between anyone is mm-hmm. that if you're going to ask a question, take the time to listen to the answer and really listen because the idea of communication is to is, is bi-directional that you're going back and forth and, and you're each understanding each other. And if you're just talking into the abyss or, or somebody's talking to you and you're already in your head thinking about what you're going to say next, there's no real communication there. And what is the point? Like you're communicating to achieve something, right? To get to some sort of agreement or to, you, you, you know, to get to an agreement, even if it's to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. But if there's no, nobody's listening and people are just talking, that's not going to happen. Right. If it's going to be a, a, a one-sided conversation, that doesn't work for anybody. Absolutely. So Arlene, look, I looked at your website. My gosh, it's so professional and so inviting. And and on your website, you actually offer people a chance to talk to you. Would you would you tell us about and and why did you do that? Well, so one of the things that I've done as a matchmaker is a and as a coach is I've developed a database of thousands of matchmakers all over the world. And I've always been a big collaborator. Uh, which means that I don't look at other people in my industry as competition. And many times, if someone wants to hire me, I may not take them as a client because I feel that they're better suited to work with someone else. And that's really because I I don't want people wasting their time and money. So I always offer everyone an opportunity to reach out to me. I do uh, a brief call where I can, you know, we can hone in on what their issue is, if, if at all possible, during that conversation figure out next steps and then, you know, guide them that way. So it could be uh, a next step could be completely free. It's not a, it's not a hard sell kind of conversation. It's more about like, what are your needs? Let's figure that out quickly. And let's talk about what you can do to get going in the right direction. And, you know, as I said, this is my life's mission. So it's really important for me to give people that opportunity and then, you know, of course, if it's a good match and, and I can help them and we can work together, by all means. But again, I'm, I'm always happy to make that referral. And sometimes it's a referral to an image consultant, you know, mm-hmm. like it could be anything. Mm-hmm. I have a whole team of experts that I'm connected to. Right, right, right. So go ahead and tell us what your website is so people can actually go in and maybe make an appointment with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's AV Connections, and I'm going to spell it because it's a little different. It's A-V-C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N-S.com, AVConnections.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connections is spelled in, in the French, you know, the French connection. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> very cool, very cool. And I'll put that in the description so anybody who wants to go to it can definitely click on it. And like I said, it's so professional, and, and the way you handle the way you do your business. I mean, it, it shows your passion. Just just from just going to your website, it shows that, you know, you are looking to help people. And, you know, I definitely applaud you for that. And keep going, keep doing it. And I know a lot of people can definitely use your help, if not your guidance. Thank you so much. And this, this has been an amazing opportunity. And I'm, I am very, very happy that we've met and that we've had this opportunity to to have this conversation and previous conversation. And I have a feeling that we're, you and I are going to be in touch (laughs) for the long haul. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, it's funny because for me, it's, I'm getting to know you and I'm like, this is somebody I, I, this is someone I want to know for a long time because you, you not only 
in in our conversation, but just the way you are, and, and I can feel your energy and your warmth. Uh, you got to tell. Well, your husband already knows he's a very lucky man, and 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 your daughter, very lucky uh, daughter, to have such a great mom as yourself. Just the fact that you went when you got divorced, you went to therapy to not necessarily think about you know what did I do wrong necessarily, but how can I make sure I'm the best mom for my child. So many people miss that opportunity. And even people who are not divorced should maybe find out is how can I be a better parent? How can I be a better spouse? How can I be a better person? So in reading and all the, you know, I I totally agree with you on the coaching. I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars myself on coaching because we don't know all the answers. And there are really, really good coaches out there. And there are some who are not worth a penny but they charge a lot, <laughs> like the one that you went to on Park Avenue. Yeah. You know, it, you you got to look at it from this perspective. Even if you're a really, really good coach, you can't, you know, like if you're a neuroscientist, you can't do surgery on your own brain. And we all have these blind spots. And it's very insightful to have people to help guide you through your blind spots so that you can be better. And, I, and like I said, I always feel that you're a work in progress until you die. So you can always get better at anything. And, and I will tell you that my, I'm very fortunate because my husband is an incredible man who has completely changed my life just from interacting with him and the way he is. And he's taught me a lot about relationships as well. Mm -hmm. But also my daughter benefited from that because she got to see me in a happy and healthy relationship and was able to model that. And by the time she left my house, she picked this amazing partner. She's now married. She's Mm. getting ready to have a baby. And I feel such a sense of accomplishment as a parent because that's what we want. We want our kids to, to do better than us, to be better than us. And she is amazing. All, you know, we have these incredible conversations about parenting and we talk very candidly about the things that I did that weren't ideal. I mean, I was a young mom. I was 22 when I had her. So Mm. We were, you know, I talk about like, oh my God, yeah, that was like a, <laughs> that was a total brain kind of move or whatever. But she, she's able to see it in a very different way, not, not resenting or anything like that. And we talk about like, what you, what did you learn from me that you don't want to do? Or what did you learn from me that you want to do more of? And it's been amazing. So mm. definitely that relationship factor is huge. And I will tell you, there's a study that has been going on for over 80 years from Harvard University. And and there's actually a great TED talk about it with the current administrator. And I believe, I don't know if it was Kennedy, but there was a president who was part of that study. And it started out all men and they took men from Harvard that were second year uh, students. And then they took gentlemen from the inner, like the inner hood in Boston who were out of school and came from poverty, but they were at the same age range. And they have been following these men for over 80 years to see and understand what makes for success. And of course, in the beginning, they asked those guys, you know, what do you think is going to make you successful? And of course, people think money and uh, education and fame and all this. And the net net is that what really helps you be happy, I shouldn't say successful, but happy is 
your relationships. That's that's what's come out of that study. And it's going on, like I said, for over 80 years. It's a great TED Talk on that mm. um, that everybody should watch. But it's, it's pretty amazing. This is how important relationships are in your life. It, it affects your health. It affects the pain that you have when you're older. Like you, people that are older report less pain because of having good relationships in their lives and so many other things. So this is not just, oh, I just want to have a husband or a wife. No, and and by the way, husbands live longer when they have a wife. I mean, there's so many benefits to mm-hmm. relationships. So this is a very serious thing. Mm-hmm. Right. No, absolutely. And it is, and, and that's a pretty cool study. 80 years is still doing it. Wow. Yeah. Arlene, thank you so much for today. This was very informative, and I hope that everybody out there realizes that there is love for everyone, but they have to work for it. It's not just, hey, it's going to happen. Love requires your work, your end. You have to do your part. I agree. Totally. Thank you again. And uh, you know, I think that you and I can go on for hours and hours and hours on these, these topics. So I think that we may have to bring you on again another time. I'm, I'm happy to join you again. And, and I really hope that your audience takes this to heart. Everybody deserves to love and be loved. And... It does take effort, but there is a lid to every pot, and there might be multiple Mm. lids to every pot, so go for it. Thank you again. All right. Take care. Bye, Rafael. Have a great day. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.